Welcome to the Serious Social podcast, created by the straight-talking social media experts at Immediate Future. In today's Serious Social Live, Belle Lawrence talks to Swati Deshpande at Fooditude about the challenges in creating meaningful social media content for B2B audiences in the food sector. Hello and welcome to Serious Social Live. 2022 is in session and we're really glad to be back and raring to go. And many of you will know, but for those of you who are new, these sessions are all about getting serious about social, discussing the best strategic marketing that we can apply to social media in order to break the social boring. Around here, we hate wallpaper posts and the churn of basic, and we love to pay it forward by sharing our philosophies. So as ever, if you have any questions for today, um, do drop them in the comments or you can DM us and we'll come back to you later. Um, So I would love to welcome a guest today. I always love having friends around on a Friday. So I'd like to say hello. Welcome to Swati. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me, Belle. Thanks for joining us. I'm really excited about today's session. Um, Now, Swati is the marketing manager at Fooditude, who are breaking the boring in the world of workplace catering. Swati, do you want to tell us a bit more about what you do and also what Fooditude is all about? Sure. So I'll start with Fooditude and maybe then I can plug in what I do there. Um, Fooditude are a workplace caterer. Um, We're all about bringing fun into office lunches so um and offices in general because we do everything for an office when it comes to food so whether it's snacking daily lunches breakfast um great coffee um barista style um cafe in the office we do it all um what i do is talk about it um i'm marketing manager so a good part of my role is shouting out high on the rooftop how amazing we are as a company and um and getting us new clients. Awesome. Okay. Um, today we've got lots to talk about, but um, I know that one of the reasons that I picked this content idea is that food is a big part of my day, um, my life probably, in fact, and I am not alone. As we said in some of the warm-up sessions for this, that food content is massive on social. In fact, to put some numbers to it, there were 17 million mentions related to the food industry and trends on social in 2021. That's 52% growth from 2019. So like it's huge. It's much more than just sharing a picture of what you had for dinner these days. Um, And Fooditude produced fresh food from scratch, including lunchboxes, right? So this really taps into uh, consumer trends that have been seen more recently on social because there was some data from Brandwatch that came out that showing um, a dominance in chatter around meal kits, grocery, takeaway deliveries and convenience but it had a bit of an emphasis on homemade fresh food. Um, But look, Food Shoot have been doing this since 2005, right? So do you think you've seen more of an interest recently in businesses wanting to provide better quality food? And are there any particular motivations that you hear from your clients? We do. So um, obviously there has always... As a philosophy, Fooditude has always done um, cook from scratch food, which is very different to how most caterers in that sort of space, office catering space, um, operate. Um, And we have prided ourselves, we've always um, used that as our USB made from scratch 
full disclosure of ingredients way before it became law. Um, and our clients loved us for it. Um, but I think off late, um, the, the biggest shift we've seen is the fact that the pandemic really made people think about wellness, wellness in the workplace and how they can make well-being a priority in the office uh, for, for their clients. So new client conversations that we are having are centered around well-being in the workplace rather than catering as a service. Um, and, and in that context, obviously homemade, made from scratch, provenance of ingredients, high quality ingredients uh, make make us stand out because we've been doing it for so many years. It's not something new that we are doing. Uh, it's not something new that we've jumped on the bandwagon because a lot of new, um, a lot of catering companies have now started a new range of vitality products or mm-hmm. things like that, um, which, which, um, are on trend, but may may look like they are knee-jerk reactions, whereas this is more organic because it's always been there. Organic, yeah. not from a organic food perspective, but more organic from just the way we've been doing things. Just the philosophy of the business. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that you found, um, or, or rather that you heard when we kind of go into lockdown and things. I mean, I know personally, and, and certainly when we talk at, at IF, there was a lot of discussion around, well, like, how are you going to get your food? What are you going to cook? How are you going to be inspired? And I think you said you heard quite a lot of stories about um, businesses staff not knowing what to do because you guys weren't there to feed them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um a lot of companies that we work with are um, tech companies um these are companies that provide their employees free lunches in the office so a good part of these um, people um were used to having lunch a, a freshly made nicely cooked lunch available to them in their office. And the moment the office became unavailable, um, that lunch also became unavailable to them. Um, and we used to ha- hear a lot of chatter on um, on the internal sort of uh, food channels because we have everyone use Slack even before it became like the way of communication for um, hybrid working companies. Um, we used to have access to these food channels for all our clients and, uh, and the, the one main theme that came out was now that we're not in the office, we don't know what to do for lunch. Um, so we decided to start helping them out a little bit by giving them recipes okay. and recipe cards um, of food that they would have normally eaten with us. So we we started off doing it um, as one recipe a day. And then um, not just for clients, we started doing it across our social media too. So for I think a good three, four months in the first few uh, uh, just before lockdown was announced, that became our sort of default strategy. Um, mm. Our uh, in terms of content, we used to have one recipe a day. Mm. So, and you did that, and it, that's recognizable content to everyone working in the food industry. Like, be be inspiring, produce some great food content, and we all kind of recognize that. But I know we've been discussing, and and certainly that 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 picture or that recipe inspiration with this kind of this is yummy try it it's not enough when it comes to b2b um and there are maybe some more things that we could do and certainly things that you have done in the past but maybe let's talk through some of the particular challenges or things that you guys have picked up on in the last six months or so when you've had to pivot the strategy really and be less about just recipe inspiration 
Yes. So um, obviously, recipe inspiration was great content at that time because um, everyone was sort of homebound and um, and no one was buying services, right? Because at that time, there wasn't there. It made absolutely no sense saying how good a caterer we are because we were in lockdown and it was we were not allowed to go to the office. So what's yeah. the point of saying, hey, buy food from us? Yeah. Um, but as we started coming out of lockdown and you know things started easing back into the office, we noticed that whilst that content was great at that point in time, it wasn't what actually sold us. So we had to come back to coming up with ideas of what actually would sell us and and redefine catering in the new world. So uh, we came up with a couple of new products. Um, so we had these sustainable lunch boxes. Um, and these are lunch boxes. They, they, it's just boxed food. Um, it's great quality deli style boxes or sandwiches. And, um, and, and they are made from scratch, just like all the other food food is. But what's special about them is the fact that it comes in compostable packaging we also in and it not just comes in compostable packaging then there is stream issues down the stream with waste management and all these issues we talk about on our social channels so it's not just about hey get this amazing lunch in a compostable box but also talking about like what we do with it after what we do with our food waste after um and and using all these things to highlight on our social channels that it's all about yummy food, yes, but it's about all the associated services that come with yummy food. Yeah, which is obviously something that businesses are going to be interested in. They have, everyone has to do more, do better. They're targeted on making sure that they are using sustainable things as much as possible, being eco-friendly, and there's a lot to think about. So do you think that... Um, it's it's helped being offer being able to offer them content and guidance around that sustainability piece in your social content so that they can feel you're helping them and you're connected to them yes so um what happens is we are we're talking about two slightly different audiences that we speak to in our social media um posts in general um we have the people who buy our services who also consume them, but are the ones who make those decisions and who are the ones who also need to be concerned about all these sustainable practices because they tie into their own sustainability plans for their offices. And then there are the people who actually eat our food, who don't necessarily get involved in the decision making when it comes to buying our food, but are hugely influential because they're the ones who say, actually, can we swap this caterer because they don't seem to do good stuff? Or can we get these guys um, or do more with these guys because they seem to do well um, with sustainability or sourcing surplus wedge because recently we um we we have been sourcing surplus wedge but we never spoke about it and then we put it out on these internal slack channels and then we also put it out on our social media that we do mm -hmm. use surplus wedge now it might seem like a seemingly insignificant topic of conversation but it sparked off this whole lively chat about how using surplus wedge is not just about using a different kind of wedge. It's also about like helping food not go into landfill and, and all those kinds of issues, um, which then make us stand as a credible operator that you want to buy from. Mm. And I think for us, the most important thing is, is to build that credibility as someone who is 
got sustainable credibility and has has a fantastic product that will fit a business yeah quite and being able to tap into the motivations of the different audiences is something that's quite key and that we sort of talked about um quite a lot in in the things that we've done in the past there is lots of um, other videos if anyone wants to go and watch them but in terms of figuring out when you're posting and where you're posting is do you find that a challenge and and are there questions that I could help answer in this session um yes uh, and I think this is a, a it's it is a challenge I think it's something that we have always always struggled with it's something we always experiment or play with um because the kind of content that would work on say LinkedIn talking about our sort of services and how easy they are to order from, how easy it is to switch on and switch off a delivered catering service versus having a kitchen in the office, which is one of our USPs, um, versus talking more about our sustainable stuff, which is also important on LinkedIn. But that yeah. kind of content does way better on Instagram or Facebook, where people have more time to engage with non-serious stuff. Whereas on LinkedIn, it has, well, we've found that our content that highlights our services fares a lot better. Mm. It is a really interesting challenge and certainly when you've got a business particularly like in the food sector where there's uh, a lot of people who would be interested in recipe content or lots of food sustainability content outside of your core buyer audience what do you do? When do you when do you talk about it? How do you talk about it? Um, the way that we help people to go about that is to do some research. And it sounds really boring, but we have to look at who are our buyer personas and where are they spending the time? Now, there are a couple of research um, entities that we can engage with, that we can pull out the demographics and we can say, OK, we're pretty sure that the majority of these people are in this location. They're earning this much and all the sort of basic stuff. But we also try and go further about the psychographics and the motivations of those people. What do they value and what do they um, want to see? What motivates them to make purchase decisions? Um, and then we can start to tailor the content around that. But the case is, particularly when it comes to kind of, are we doing B2B content or B2C content? We are all humans. We don't have this B2B brain and this B2C brain. You might behave differently on different channels, but you might still come across business content on Facebook that really engages you, that makes you want to buy something if, if you're buy as a business buyer. So it's really about tailoring that content to how often the people are, are on the platforms, what they want from that platform, what they expect to see. And as you said, then serving that to them. Um, it can be challenging then to measure it. But if you put together a measurement framework, which allows you to measure things in series of posts instead of individual posts, in themes, in topics, um, and also, you know, who you think is engaging with it on different platforms, then it's that, like just like you said, test and learn and figure out whether there is um, a bit more of a trend in actually in Facebook when we put this kind of business content out people do engage with it and they do respond but just in a different way maybe they're looking for more entertainment on that channel so that's that would be the way that the route that we go down to figure out what the strategy should be so that's that's really helpful because I think what we do really well is the test and test and try um, I think the measurement bit is where we don't measure maybe as much as we should. 
Yeah, it is a tricky one. And you you kind of have to allow things to bed in if you're going to make a strategy change before you start to measure it. And so it's one of the it's one of the key challenges. And when it comes to the um, content creation and what to say and how to say it, do you also um, look at the way that you're writing posts or the format of the content that you're creating, like videos versus stills or carousels, depending on the channel and the audience you're talking to? 100%. So uh, we do tailor all our content to channel specific stuff. Um, We have recently started playing a little bit with with reels because that was, um, so we started, we don't do as many of them because we just feel like it's, it's, it works great for food content, but like businessy food content not so much but we do play with it and we do get some engagement with it but what we do tend to do is try everything and and see how it works see how it works within our audience um there are certain things that we have tried that we have actually tested out we've sent out to uh, so when we actually rebranded we did actually send it out to our clients and say hey guys this is what we are thinking of doing we did massive research with them before we embarked on the process of rebranding um Mm. in terms of what their brand perceptions would be uh like what they would think of us if we were to change our name and things like that so um there's a good amount of consumer well client research that uh, that we have done and we've seen we we've understood our clients pretty well uh, and there's not too many of them that's it, it helps to have a smaller set in that in that sort of a, um, a perspective but um once we've we've done that um i think we are with social media channels what we do tend to do is experiment a lot with uh, different formats um, and and with content uh, we sit down at the end of the month just to go over the posts that did not work mm-hmm. um, but what we don't do very well is go over stuff that did work and try and do more of that kind of stuff um, we, mm-hmm. we, I think we dwell more on the stuff that didn't do didn't perform very well so let's just ditch that line of content or that style of content yeah which is tricky as well because you might find that something didn't work but perhaps is that to do with the time of day it went out or was the sun shining was everyone out (laughs) having a picnic instead of engaging it's so difficult to do it on that that individual basis so you always go back to um I would advocate always go back to some of the things that you've done before just to check why you think it didn't work but it is about that data element at the beginning and setting up the strategy. And is that the same for um, going beyond organic? I mean, there's there's definitely um, the case that with social, it's not just you can't just expect organic engagement and massive high viral reach, particularly in a B2B world. It is a bit pay to play now and you want to reach the right audience, not just be broadcasting. So um, when it comes to going further, are you doing some testing on paid as well? And is there anything we could I could answer for you today on that? <laughs> yes. Um, so it's interesting you asked me that question about paid right now, because we started uh, as, as, a, as a company, we weren't doing any um, paid social media um, until about September last year. That's when we really started investing in, uh, in paid social. And when we started off, um, we did very broad targeted in- 
interest based to a certain extent but uh, it was the targeting was very broad and and when we started looking into what how those campaigns were performing um it it really wasn't getting us the kind of results we should or e- even if it was getting us the results in terms of numbers of clicks it, they weren't clicks from the right people mm. um and and that's when we sort of invested a little more time and energy into defining our audiences a little bit better because broad is great for reach but then if the reach is not in the right kind of audiences it doesn't really make sense so we went hyper targeted mm. with our um linkedin campaign for example um and selected a broad list of companies that we know would want to buy from us and and then went drilled down to certain title types in that audience and that campaign um has been live for about a week and a half now and uh, um that's that's performed really well for us because we're getting the right kind of people looking at what we are doing yeah. um and looking at what we want them to look at because eventually we want them to become clients um so it it, it is a slow process and it's again a process of do and learn um i don't think anyone would ever get their social media campaigns right in the first go um but um and if they do i'd like to meet them because i'd like to really learn from them well it's definitely um, way of getting closer to it being right and i think it's one of the things that that is easy to forget about social is where it sits in the funnel and you you can't expect that that really super high quality lead is going to come from a single ad that you post once on LinkedIn or Facebook and I think that's the myth around it is that it's not the case we know from research that LinkedIn put out that um, you need five to nine touch points for someone to have an action so you have to you may want to start a bit broader but you then do have to do that work taking them through the storytelling with you explaining who you are what you do and getting them invested before you ask them to then become a lead and as you say then you'll find that the volume of clicks might be good at the beginning or the volume of reach and impressions might look really good but it's always got to be quality over quantity or you're just kind of throwing money out the window and hoping that it's going to hit someone who's right and and also understanding that ecosystem a little bit um because you know we are currently using a combination of linkedin ads instagram ads uh google search and google display and and we find that that ecosystem used in the right way will work for you in it will give you those five to seven touch points at different stages of a buying journey but knowing how to use it right i think is 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 key um and it only comes with like either learning about it or actually getting stuck in and doing it you might end up like doing it on a smaller scale so you don't end up like burning too much cash but um um i think it's it's important to just start doing it before yeah, test learn and then scale it as you learn yeah. about how it's going to work totally agree with that um is there anything else that you want to cover today or um i mean we can't possibly cover all the queries <laughs> well if there was one piece of advice you'd give um someone who does b2b food marketing what would it be it would be to think about your audience buyer persona 100% so yes 
food content is really popular. It is hard to cut through the noise. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of that buyer. It's not just about yummy food. It's got to be about more than that. How are you saving them money, saving them time? Whatever you determine those motivations to be, that's really got to be the core of your content. Great. Um, and I mean, like I say, we can't cover everything in this session, but um, is there anything that that you would take away from, sorry about the pun, I can't help it, the pun game is stronger, immediate future. Is there anything you would take away from this session that you're going to action? Um, I think it's just sort of looking at those bio personas and, and um, testing. I think that that is what I would take back, not testing content, but actually looking at results from these campaigns, what worked, what didn't work, why did what didn't work not work? Yes. Um, that's that's my biggest, uh, because that's what I don't do. So um, that's my biggest takeaway from today. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you. I've really enjoyed it. And, and hopefully it's been helpful for everyone watching as well. Um, so we'll wrap up. But don't forget, you can catch up on previous sessions of Serious Social Live via our social feeds and YouTube. And we've also got a podcast. So do go and subscribe to that to get loads of insights. Um, we've got a lot of podcast material. So um, make sure that you take advantage. Uh, we will be back in a few weeks with Katie. So do follow us on social and keep an eye on the feeds for the next event coming up. Um, and just to say thank you so much for joining me, Swati. I've had a blast. Thank you so much. I have had a great time indeed. Thank you. It's been good. It's and we will you. definitely speak soon. And frankly, I'm now off to decide what I'm going to eat for lunch because this has just made me hungry. <laughs> bon appetit. <laughs> thank you. All right. See you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. If you're after more know-how to break the social boring, subscribe now and check out the show notes for links to our website and social profiles.